Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn to Luke chapter 17, we'll pick up in verse 20, finish chapter 17, along with the first eight verses of chapter 18. Remember the Bible, when it was authored, uh, was not authored with chapters and verses in it. They were added later as a way for us to keep our place and to identify portions of scripture because these would be very, very difficult to follow along in a huge scroll. And so we have the benefit and the blessing of chapters and verses, but they're not always accurate as far as the context uh, of the scriptures themselves, and this is one of those cases. This morning, the coming kingdom, and I want to set the stage for this um, without really drawing attention to too much other than the fact the church needs to remember that this world is not our home. This is not our home. This is a place that we're going to spend 60, 70, 80 years for most of us, 90, 100 maybe, where we've been given an opportunity to live out our faith and very specifically lead lives that are gospel-oriented, that lead other people to seeing the light of Christ. But this world is not our home. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus specifically spoke of a coming kingdom. A coming kingdom, not a kingdom here and now, but a coming kingdom, a kingdom that is to come. He is going to be asked in this particular set of verses, this part of Luke's gospel, that exact question, when will your kingdom come? What does it look like? What is your kingdom? You see, because we live in a world where the church has somehow become confused about the kingdom. And the church has begun to preach and teach things that are actually not about the kingdom. The kingdom is not us redeeming this earth. The kingdom is about people being redeemed by Christ. The kingdom is actually not specifically visible, though it can be seen in part in the work of the church and in individual lives committed to Christ, but the kingdom is still a kingdom that is to come. Jesus is going to speak to this issue, and it is of utmost importance right now in our world, so that we not get off track so that we remember that there are absolutely better days ahead. There is an eternity that lies ahead for all of us who are looking forward and hastening his glorious appearing, and that this world is not the answer to our problems. Heaven is the answer to our problems. Amen? pick up in verse 20. And now when he, that he being Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees, his arch enemy most of the time, 
but very learned religious men, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, now this is really important because people then were confused about the kingdom. Jesus is nearing the end of his life. So for the previous at least two and a half years, probably by now close to three years, Jesus has been traveling in the region that we would today call modern-day northern Israel, the Galilee region preeminently, sometimes into Samaria and now in Perea where he is when he writes these words, speaks them to Luke who records them. But people were asking because Jesus had spoken about his kingdom. Well, when is that? What were they looking for? Can I tell you that they were looking for much the same things that some in the church today are looking for? And we would call that a kingdom now theology. We'll just reform this earth. We'll reform the government. We'll reform the laws. We'll reform the land. We'll reform everything. And we'll just have your kingdom right here on earth right now. Jesus never taught that. He taught exactly the opposite of that. That his kingdom was a future kingdom. And that it was only visible in the hearts and minds of the individual believers at that time, and that is still true today. Collectively, it can be seen in the church in a small way, but his kingdom in that sense is still coming. Notice how Jesus answered. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, you can study it all day long and you're not going to visibly see it. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is where, church? Within you. Hallelujah. It's within you. Every single believer has a tiny piece of the kingdom of God within them because you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are, in that sense, part of the kingdom, but the kingdom itself, in all of its fullness, is still future. It's coming. We have not yet begun to see the glorious things that God will do with his beloved when his kingdom fully comes, because it's in you. The Jewish religious If you're following online, we actually have the wrong PowerPoint loaded. Somebody loaded the one for Isaiah, which was Wednesday night, which had a similar title. So disregard the PowerPoint. We'll put the right one up later. It is important for us in that sense to remember exactly why these things are being spoken by Jesus. You see the disciples, many that followed Jesus, Certainly, the Jewish religious leadership was looking for a kingdom right then and right there. They wanted a militant Messiah. They wanted somebody to deal with Rome. There was a global empire. It was a Roman empire. That Roman empire had overwhelmed Jerusalem, the city of God. 
the religious leadership had responded. And they said, well, we're going we're gonna to take it back. And Jesus begins to speak to this concept. And so the Lord, in that sense, ignores what they're actually asking and gives them the real answer to the question. In other words, it's not what you think it is. The kingdom is not what you think it is. It doesn't come with hostile watching. It doesn't doesn't come with you just simply examining the things on earth and altering the trajectory of legal systems and governments. It isn't what you think it is. And so they're saying, well, if you just look here, if you just look there, if you just look to politics, if you just look to the law, if you just look to the Supreme Court, if you just look to our governing principles, if you just look to the Constitution, if you just look to these things, if you look to something else, then you can see the kingdom and you can see how it's going to come right here and right now. And Jesus is saying, effectively, it's never going to come in the way that you think it's going to come. It isn't going to come as a a whole to this earth until the king himself comes and brings it. Now, Jesus was still on earth, but he had not yet given his life a ransom. He hadn't paid the price for our sin. And so he's saying, look, you guys need to look a little further beyond. And in fact, when he says this, he will go on in John's gospel in the first 12 verses of chapter 3, verses familiar to all of you, I'm sure, where Jesus actually goes on and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you shall not see what, church? The kingdom of God. Is there anything about being born again that is attached to this earth? And the answer is no. One is not born again by this earth or anything on it. You're born again by personally knowing Jesus Christ by faith in your heart, believing on his name, and that's how you're born again. So the kingdom of God comes to every person initially when you get saved. You become part of the kingdom, but the kingdom in its totality is not going to be a redeemed Los Angeles that somehow turns into this community where, you know, everything is godly. Because not everyone will be saved. God wants everyone to be saved, but not everyone's going to believe. Every system of man's government has its flaws, including ours. As wonderful, as beautiful as we could say our system of government is relative to the rest of the world, it is still deeply flawed, is it not? We got some issues, folks. And no amount of us trying to redeem the government is ever going to accomplish Christ's kingdom. The way Christ's kingdom comes is by people being saved one at a time, joining together in fellowship, and then ultimately we spread the gospel and everyone who's going to be saved is saved and the Lord comes and gets his church and then comes again. And his kingdom will come. But it's not going to be because we simply go about changing laws. And in fact, it's interesting, if you want to look at the history of the world From the time that Jesus is on earth 
actually the very Roman government that Christians were talking about wiping out in that moment would become the source of the world's first Christian government under Constantine. It'd take 400 years, but Rome would actually kind of in that sense become more of a Christian endeavor. But did it stay that way? It sure did not. Rome ebbed, flowed, and died out. Every form of human government does the same thing. It's because we're not supposed to be trusting in human government. We're supposed to be trusting in Jesus Christ. It wasn't a material kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. It was not going to be a structured, armed, judicial, monetized, organized political kingdom where you would reform the world and everything in it. And to that end, the Lord tells really of a three-part plan here. When will that kingdom come is the question. The Lord addresses the disciples and he speaks to them. And he speaks of these individual components. First, there would be a rejection of Jesus. Then there would be the return of Jesus. And then there would be the rapture of the church. And he's basically saying, look, here's what's going to happen. They ask him a question. He now answers the question. Verse 22. And then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Why? <laughs> because you'll be in heaven. You're not going to make it. These guys weren't going to see it. They were all going to take their last breath and go home to be with Jesus. Because it was future. And they will say to you, look here, look there, don't go after them or follow them. Now notice how Jesus now speaks of this time when the kingdom would come. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man, that is Jesus' name for himself, given to him by the prophet Daniel, the Son of Man, will be in his day. Now notice he speaks of it future tense, and Jesus is speaking. Jesus is going to be dead in about a week. So it had to be a future event, future day of the Lord. But first, notice this, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. In other words, a generation alive. That would be when the kingdom would come. In other words, the cross, Calvary, would change absolutely everything. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus pronounces this series of incredible woes on the world. He says, this is what the world's going to look like. This is how it's going to be. There's going to be an overthrow of the city of Jerusalem. The Romans are going to come. The Bar Kokhba rebellion will occur. The temple's going to be destroyed. He basically says, look, there's not going to be a stone left one on top of another here in Jerusalem, and you all are going to die. The kingdom's coming after that. Jesus himself ascended to heaven and he's not been back. 
And so it's really important to stay focused on what is the real truth of the kingdom in that sense. The Lord has since that day done exactly what he declared in Matthew 24. The Lord mentions a different generation, one that would witness the rebirth of the Jewish people. The very same thing that the prophet Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 37 when he said there would be a valley of dry bones and they would rise up and they would gain flesh and they would be returned to to life. He's saying, look, there's going to be a generation at some point in time that is going to see the kingdom come. But it's not you guys. Because the kingdom is actually in you. You're going to be part of it in that sense. And so Jesus is pointing us very far forward. He's saying, you guys are actually going to reject the kingdom. You aren't going to believe in me. That's why John 3, there in verses 1 through 3, says what it says, specifically in verse 3, that the kingdom comes to those who are born again and no other way. But there will be a literal kingdom that's going to come. And that literal kingdom is future. There's going to be a rejection. And then the Lord is going to return. Notice what it says. Verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah. Anybody remember how that was? We'll get to that in a minute. Wasn't a sparkling time for humanity. Let's just put it that way. So it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Now what did Jesus just say? Well, you're going to see him visibly. He's going to come as lightning flashes from one side of the sky to the other. So it will be when the Son of Man comes again. They ate, they drank, they married wives who were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Notice the second day. And likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, remember, Jesus is alive, so it could not possibly be talking about a physical revelation of who he is in the moment, because he's going to die. He's going to be resurrected, and he is going to ascend to heaven. And so he says very plainly, in that day, He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. In other words, don't go into your house and grab a thing. You're not going to need it where you're going. I love that. Any of you dread moving ever? That, That scene in Apollo 13. Let's just sell the house with everything in it. You know, it's like likewise... The one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. What a strange thing to say. He's talking about when he comes again, a second time. Before that happens, 
something's going to happen to the church. And so he references these two really bad days. What does he do? He mentioned the days of Noah. Interesting, that's before the flood. The days of Lot were after the flood. So there was a day before the flood. There was a day after the flood. Each is mentioned. Both have the same problem. That's because mankind still has the same problem. We still have the same problems. We still get the wrong focus. We still look in the wrong place. We're still looking for the wrong thing. We're still concerned about things that ultimately are not the thing. The days of Noah were filled with violence, pornographic society, the days of Lot, very much the same thing, a little different focus, specifically with the issue of homosexuality, but it was a debauched time, and Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes again. In other words, when he returns. Now, I don't know about you if you looked at the world recently, but it's interesting to me this little tiny, what seems to be half of a sentence, almost an afterthought that's very important, remember Lot's wife. Why is that important? Because I think that, in a lot of ways, is how the church has responded to the world that we live in. We keep looking back at Sodom. It's like, well, you, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't that bad. You know, we could redeem that. You know, I mean, come on, Sodom had some good things. It's like, man, we had the best wine ever in Sodom. I had the biggest house you can, it was awesome. Two-story kind of California ranch. Had a car in the driveway. Had some money in the bank. Don't forget that little tiny half of a sentence. Remember Lot's wife. As it was in the days of Noah, not good. As it was in the days of Lot, not good. Jesus says in reference to those two really bad days, remember Lot's wife. She seemingly could not let go of the things of this earth, but rather turned back towards the things of the world and says, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I can just go back to that. Maybe I can figure out a way to redeem that. You can't redeem that. The only thing that can be redeemed is you. It's me. It's anyone who will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that can be redeemed. They had escaped, in essence, Abraham, his family, by the skin of their teeth. But the picture of Noah's time and Lot's time was a careless world. 
that cared virtually little, if anything, about God. But they began to say, well, if we just fix this, we just fix that. We just do this, we just do that, then this will be heaven on earth. And Jesus says, no, it won't. And so Jesus tells us the way that we're actually going to get out of it. The way it's going to work out to our benefit, to our blessing, he talks literally about the rapture of the church. Verse 33, for whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And he's talking about life on this earth. You can't keep what you have here. It's not going to heaven with you. It's not. When you get to heaven, you're, you know, there's going to be no pod following you to heaven. You know, Beacon isn't going to come and dump stuff off at your mansion in heaven. You're not going to be able to take your nice armoire with all of your clothes. You're not going to get there and go, man, look what I got. It all stays here. It's part of this earth. God gave it to you for this time for a purpose and a reason. He wants you to even be blessed in the things that he's given you. But it's for here. It's not for there. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I have to give my life away to Jesus. I have to say, you know what? Lord, I'm going to focus on heavenly things, eternal things. For I tell you that that night there will be two men in one bed. And I, I want to square something. I've had numerous people, as you might imagine. And then they look at the next one and two men, women grinding together. And it's like it goes off on this insane exegetical tangent that is just ridiculous. During that day and time, whole families used to sleep in the same bed. This is not talking about a homosexual relationship. This is simply saying two guys would be in one bed as a lot of times two men would be in the same bed. Whole families would be in the same bed. And one will be taken and another left. The focus is on the personal decision to follow Christ. It's on do you know him? Have you believed on his name? Are you going to be ones who go or ones who stay? Are you going to be left behind or are you going to be taken up? Two women will be grinding together and one will be taken. The other left. It's very clear what Jesus is saying. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. So speaking of the rapture of the church, it's personal faith in Christ. That you believe on Jesus' name. And in fact, it's going to be nighttime in half the world and daylight in the other half of the world. You have two people at exactly the same time. One is in bed at night and the other is working in the field. This is obviously two different parts of the world even. So this is a global event where people will be waiting. And they will have looked at the world and said, oh... Well, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, which was perverse, but they're still looking back, remembering Lot's wife. Well, it wasn't that bad. And in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air forever to be with the Lord. 
And so Jesus simply says, look, the choice is yours. Because the kingdom's not here, it's never been here. If you want to be part of the kingdom, you need to be part of the kingdom internally. Because it's not visible. It's invisible. So much so that two people can be in the same bed and one be saved and one be lost. Or in this case, one be left behind for the tribulation. Don't miss what Jesus is saying here. Because he's talking about how we are to live our lives right now today. Because one day, exactly as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-11 through 11 states, the Lord has not appointed his church unto wrath, but unto salvation. This church, we believe that God is going to rapture the church. Take the church and spare us from the disaster that is going to come. But the apostate church, the church that's looking to this earth for its solutions, oh, they're going to get to stay. Along with people that don't know the Lord. And they're going to get to go through a time that I have no intention of going through. The Bible calls it tribulation. The day of Jacob's trouble. Daniel's 70th week. A time when God finally pours out his wrath on this earth. Deservedly so. Why? Because the world is still like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot and part of the church is still looking at the world for solutions. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want you to be part of that. So you have a choice. You can either stay here and see if you can finally get to that place to where you believe, or you can just simply give your life to the Lord Jesus right now. And when that trumpet sounds, you can leave with the rest of us. Verse 37. And then they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And so he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. He's saying, Look. When it goes south here on this earth, when the Lord finally comes, it's not going to be pleasant. That word eagles could be translated vultures. In other words, he's saying, what's going to happen on this earth? You don't want to be here for that. You want to skip that part at all costs. You you do not want to be on the earth to try and get through the tribulation. If that's your default position, I, I beg you to reconsider Verse 1, chapter 18, and then he spoke a parable to him. So he's going to speak a parable now to help them understand what he's just said. That's why I said sometimes the chapter and verse designations are, are not as beneficial as we might think they are. And then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Notice what it says there. Pray and don't lose heart. He said, pray. Don't lose heart saying, there was a certain city, in that city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now, I would say to you, that again is a very apt description of much of what goes on in the legal systems of the world, not just here in America. 
There are a lot of judges that don't fear God and they don't regard men. But they're still judges nonetheless. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Interesting word translated adversary because it's exactly the same word that Peter uses for the devil. In other words, there's a fight going on. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In other words, I'll cave into the peer pressure. I won't do what's right because it's right. I'll just simply do what's expedient because I'm sick of talking to this broad. That seems a little crass to you. I'm trying to put it into terms that you can understand. It's like, this witch keeps coming. It's like, I forget it. Give her whatever she wants. At least she'll get off my docket. That's the way the world functions right now. It's like, I'm going to do what's politically expedient. I'm going to say whatever's necessary so I can get this off of my plate, put it onto yours, but I don't care what God thinks. And I really don't care what happens to people. Your Bible says that is a sign that the Lord's return is near. Amen? Think about it. Think about it, church. Jesus was asked, when are you coming? When it is as it was in the days of Noah, the heart of man was continually wicked and evil. That's the description of the days of Noah. It was perverted in the days of Lot. The people who had escaped turned and looked back towards Sodom, and then the time would be filled with unjust rulers making unjust laws harming people so much so that the only thing they cared about was their own busy schedule. So they said, let's just give her what she wants. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I read that in the news this morning. That was pretty much the headlines. I'm not trying to overstate this, but that is our world. The world is wicked. The world is evil. It is unjust. It takes advantage of widows and poor people, and it pronounces judgments only as is expedient to allow those in power to do whatever they want to do. Your Bible says... That is when Jesus is going to come get the church and then come again. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust said. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? Any of you been praying, Lord God, please deliver us? I have. I have. Please, Lord. What did, it, what did Jesus say? Men ought to watch and pray 
God's hearing your prayers. God's attentive to the cry of his people. And I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Look at this parable. An unjust judge. A world that is wicked. A world that's focused on the rights of a few versus the sufferings of all. Where the powerful rule powerfully without any recourse. Boasting utter disregard for God. I don't really care what God thinks. I know, by the way, I don't really care what's happening to this widow. I just don't want to have to deal with her troubles. So I'll give her whatever she wants as long as it makes her shut up. Church. There are some points to this parable. It all has a point, in other words. Shall not God avenge his own elect? God is the avenger of those who love him. And as we dedicate our lives to the right kingdom, which is a heavenly kingdom, it's not an earthly kingdom, we have the very attentive ear to the Lord of heaven and earth. And he will avenge his elect, he will take care of his kids. He always has, and he always will. Doesn't mean we won't go through some stuff. But what it does mean is in the end, he knows exactly where you are today. He knows what you're going through. He knows every injustice, every inequity. He has missed none of it. None of it has the Lord missed. Including those who sit in places of authority, high places of authority in this land or any other land that oppress the people, that do whatever they want for their own benefit, that maintain power at all costs. God is not missing any of that. And the point is this. We should not be so concerned with them We should be very concerned with ourselves. What are we doing to see his kingdom come and his will be done? Because he will avenge us. He will take care of the inequities and the injustices. When you get to heaven, you're not even going to remember them anymore. We're going to go, earth what? When? When was that? God has this under control. And to that end, this court that's visible in this passage on earth, this this anti-dicosa, which is, we get our word deacons from it. It's the anti of deacon. It's someone who doesn't take care of anyone who's the adversary. Can I tell you there's an unseen court in heaven? 
And they don't misjudge anything up there. All these plots and plans and bizarre things that mankind does on this earth, God is going to square away in eternity. He hasn't missed any of it. Revelation chapter 4 shows this picture of these 24 elders who are part of the church, judging in essence eternal things in the last days. God is pictured as the kingdom of heaven and the king of heaven, and angelic beings are sitting there judging with him. And this is why I've had so many conversations with people. What are you doing putting your hope and faith and trust in SCOTUS for? The Supreme Court of the United States. There is a higher court. Why are you putting your hope and trust in the president, the POTUS of the United States? There is a higher ruler in the heavens. Why are you concerned so much with the daily workings of the Congress and the UN and the world court and all those things? Yes, they affect us, but as a believer, there is a whole level of universal government above all of that, and they're actually the ones in charge. Amen? That's heaven's court. And so the people of God appeal to the court of heaven. I do not appeal to the U.S. Constitution as much as I love the Constitution of the United States. Don't get me wrong here. There's no place I'd rather live than America with the freedoms we have. This is the best place on the planet to be. No question about that. There's more hope here than anywhere else in the world. But my hope is not in America. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Our whole series for Christmas, which starts this coming Thursday with the Katinas and a concert of hope, our whole next five messages are going to be on the hope that we have in Jesus. And I want you to be hopeful, church, because in spite of all this stuff that's going on, and it's hard. Again, don't misunderstand. What I'm, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying there's hope, but that hope is in heaven. I'm saying there's hope in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm saying that if you place your hope and faith and trust in the court of heaven, that court will never give you a, a render a judgment against you that is evil. I'm saying that if you place your faith, your hope, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your kingdom is eternal. It's not temporal. The blessings that you have can't be taken from you that no one can snatch you out of your Father's hands. There is a difference between the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that the world is expressing and trying to figure out some way to end COVID-19, some way to figure out how to govern a, a messed up globe. As much as we should be involved in those things in a practical sense, and we are all affected by them, my hope is in Christ alone. Amen? As we enter our Christmas season, don't let the world steal your hope. Turn to the Lord. Do what Jesus said. Pray and don't give up. Pray and don't give up. Pray, ask for more faith. Don't give up. Because if we do that, 
We already know the end of the story. The king is coming. He's going to make it all okay. Amen? Don't forget that. You're going through the tough things we're going through. Pray. Don't lose hope. Pray. Don't lose hope. Pray. Don't lose hope. And the one you're praying to is hearing every word. And he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask and or think. Every prayer you pray, he's able to do above what you've asked. And so let's rest in him. Father, we thank you that these words are true, that the final authority in all things is you, Jesus. Lord, the world has nothing on us. It has nothing against us. It really can do nothing to us. In that sense, we are overcomers. We've already won. We're just waiting uh, for the cessation of hostilities on, here on this earth so that we can go home. And we know that one day you're going to take your church out. Lord, you're going to rescue us. You might take us one at a time before that time. But Lord, our hope is in heaven. And so we pray to you and ask that your kingdom be alive in each of us in our hearts and that we be looking forward to that glorious appearing of our great God and King. That day when we step out of time and into eternity, Lord, keep our eyes fixed on heaven, focused on walking with you, and blessed because we've left our, our, our troubles in the hands of a God who can do anything about anything. And so, Lord, we are blessed to be your kids. Encourage us, console us if we need that. Strengthen us for the days that lie ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.